Welcome to Behind the Scenes, PAL Canada Foundation's intergenerational masterclass series for Canadian youth who are interested in learning about careers and good jobs in the Canadian arts and entertainment industry. Youth 14 to 30 years old will learn invaluable trade secrets and career tips from master trainers who have decades of behind-the-scenes experience to share. The following is an unedited recording of PAL Canada's Masterclass, All About the Script, the first in its series of behind-the-scenes masterclasses. Hosted by award-winning TV personality Roger Peterson, the Masterclass is being led by Chris Fisher, the co-executive producer of Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, and Person of Interest. He was also supervising producer on Warehouse 13, along with a long list of credits. He is joined by Janine Dupuy, script and continuity supervisor for Star Trek, Strange New Worlds, Designated Survivor, and more. Joining them is story weaver, storyteller, and director June Cupido. Here is Chris Fisher. I wanted to, wanted to be a storyteller. I wanted to tell stories that I cared about. I wanted to work with other people who shared, you know, common values with me, um, you know, and, um, you know, if I could make it, uh, anyone can make it. And, um, you know, it's, um, it's an honor to be here. As I said, you know, you guys are the storytellers, you guys are the future. Um, and uh, to be able to be here and speak with you is, is, is really awesome. Um, you know, of the accomplishments that Roger read, I, I, one of the things that's not on there, which I will say is I'm most proud of, is I've been involved with the Sundance uh, Native American uh, program for the last 30 years. Uh, I've helped mentor people like Sterling Harjo, uh, who's now as the showrunner for the show Reservation Dogs. Um, I gave Sterling his first TV directing job. Uh, I'm also very proud that Sydney Freeland, uh, another Native American uh, director uh, was the first uh, Indigenous uh, TV director on Star Trek, and we hired her to do our show uh, last season. Um, so, so those are the things I'm most proud about. Um, what my job is, it, uh, you know, my title is executive producer slash director. The executive producer part is pretty boring. Um, that just means I get to hire people a lot smarter than me and take the credit for the work they do. Um, uh, that's what an executive producer does. Um, the exciting part of my, my title, the producer slash director, uh, that's what I really do and what I love. What that means, a, a producer slash director on a show, on a TV show, is someone who's in charge of the creative issues regarding production. So I get to set the look of the show. I get to hire the cast and the crew. I get to hire the directors, get to worry, work with the directors. So everything that sort of happens up on, in Toronto, everything that happens you know, inside our circus tent of the TV show is something that I get to be deeply involved with. Um, so that's exciting. Um, and a big part of being a producing director, of course, is working uh, with a script and working with the script supervisor. So, you know, I come to directing through writing. Back when I went to film school and I got my start, all I ever wanted to do was be a writer. And then I saw another director direct my script and I screamed and yelled, I can do that better. So um, I've, always, I've always had a sort of deep personal creative involvement in, in a script. At, for my job, what the producing director generally means I get involved with the script once it is complete. Now that's not always true. 
um, uh, especially on our show with this thing called we call virtual art department, where we are creating digital worlds in an augmented reality environment. Um, we have to build these worlds 20 weeks before the first day of shooting, which means I'm much more involved on Star Trek in the script process, in the storytelling process, because I get involved at the idea stage. What I do is on Star Trek is I work with the writers in the writer's room to come up with ideas of worlds, strange new worlds that we can go to um, and that, that we create while they write them. It's a, it's a unique aspect of Star Trek. I don't know if any other show actually does it. Uh, we are very much uh, the inventors of this technology. And um, we are the first ever TV show that was developed for this technology and the first TV show uh, uh, to use it. So um, going back to the script, um, you know, the, the script supervisor is the, the most important person for a director on set. The script supervisor is the person that I spend probably 50% of my time on set speaking to exclusively. And I would say the script supervisor is involved in 90% or more of every other conversation I have. The script supervisor is my partner. My, the script supervisor is my ally. The script supervisor is, is really a co-director, is a second director that is there to, to, to help me stay on track, to help uh, the series stay on track, the help the actors stay on track. Um, it, you know, it's, it is largely, and, and as Janine would tell you, uh, it depends on, 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 on how some, how each guest director approaches the relationship. Um, you know, it can be a, a, a love affair and it can be contentious um, because the script supervisor's role is really to protect the show. A guest director comes in to direct an episode. The script supervisor is there to protect continuity, not only for the episode, but continuity for the series, for the season, uh, and for the for the for the for the goals of the writer, the showrunner, and the executive producer. Uh, again, it, there is not a more important and and more tight relationship than that between a producing director and the script supervisor. Um, one of the things that they do, again, I'm just kind of go through some of the, you know, to knock down some of the key things, um, is, is script timing. So a, a, a director often is, uh, their head is in the clouds, they're dealing with, you know, an actor's late for set, the, they, they, they're really hungry, they want to go get a coffee and a burrito. Uh, so the script supervisor is, is, is there taking care of some of the, the real nuts and bolts stuff. How long is the script? How long is this scene? You, you, uh, you just shot a scene, you did a take that took 20 minutes, but you only have five minutes set for this scene. So the script supervisor is keeping the director honest in terms of the timing of the script and the timing of scenes. That is one of the most critical roles that they play. Um, the script supervisor is also creatively involved in rehearsals. They are there during prep. They are there before each shoot day, each scene. Every time you block a scene, which is rehearsing a scene with the actors, the script supervisor is there to offer advice and say, hey, look, you know, just so you know, in the episode before you, since you weren't there, I was there and the director did it the same way. You might want to do something differently, or you might want to adjust this. Uh, so the, the, the script supervisor gets involved creatively even in the rehearsal stage. Um, the script supervisor protects the script and the writer vision. So often the writer 
who uh, every episode of television has a guest director. That means the director who is hired for that one episode. And every episode of television has a guest writer. That's the one writer who is hired to write that episode. So often the writer comes up to set and they find that they're a little bit fish out of water. They, they, they don't have quite the relationships that the director has. They may not be as comfortable on, on a, a film set as the director is. So often the script supervisor will really take the writer under their wing and let them know, hey, I got your back. I'm gonna make sure they say your words or as close to it as possible. Uh, and, the, and, and, and the script supervisor has this very important and, and uh, sort of unsung hero role of, of making the writer feel good and comfortable on set knowing that their vision is being protected. Um, the script supervisor also has a lot of discretion um, and they have to exercise good discretion. And, and that's why it's a very hard job. For example, if you know the difference between the letter of the law and the language of the law, well, that comes up in filmmaking all the time. So let's say an actor just can't remember the lines. They, 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 for some reason, they cannot remember the lines. They can get kind of like it. They can make it sound kind of like the script. Well, is it enough or, is, or do we have to keep doing more takes? Every take you do on a film set costs a lot of time and costs a lot of money. So the script supervisor gets to say, hey, you know what? This actor is really talented. They, they evoke the right emotion. They didn't get any of the words right, but I can tell what they said that that's close enough to tell the emotion of the story. That is a very hard job to do because often it could backfire. You, you, get, the, you get the footage into, into the edit and you know what? You, you're missing those words. Well, the script supervisor needs to be really good at that. They really need to know what the language of the law is. Um, one of the most important things between uh, parts of the relationship between the script supervisor and the director is coverage. Coverage in a very basic term is, is in, you'll hear this all the time when, you, when, when if whoever wants to be directors, you'll hear, did you get enough coverage? What kind of coverage are you getting? It's, it's uh, you know, executives almost, you know, uh, re, you know, rely on it too much. Basically what coverage is, coverage is the necessary shots to tell the scene. So, um, it's, it's not the specialty shots, it's not the cool shots, it's really, are, did you get enough different shots to cut the scene together? It's the basics, it's, it's the thing you can't leave a scene behind with. You, you have to get your coverage before you go do some cool shot or you flip the camera upside down or you dump, dunk the act, actor in a, in, a, in a swimming tank. Like, you know, did you get your coverage? And the script supervisor keeps track of coverage. And they really have a hard time doing that because often, again, a director has their, their heart set on some crazy elaborate shot that's gonna take two hours that has nothing to do with coverage. And the script supervisor needs to tell them, hey, you're out of time. You need to stop doing this silly shot that you're doing and you need to get coverage or what you're not gonna make your scene. Um, again, and that's a, a, a part of the job that involves a lot of discretion where a script supervisor really needs to you know, understand the, the note underneath the note, you know, what, what it's not, it's, it's what really is the important kernel of the story, you know, storytelling is all about emotion. It's not about shots. It's not about words. It's not about scripts. Storytelling is about emotion. So the script supervisor is the one that gets to say, well, you know, the, the you're not going to be able to cut the emotion of the scene together unless you get these two extra shots. Um, so, 
Another thing that I think will surprise a lot of people is the script supervisor is also in charge of performance in a big part. So when you have a scene that has eight actors in it and two of the actors are on, like for Star Trek and two of the actors are on a different spaceship, two of the actors are in a Klingon prison and only four of the actors are actually on set that day. Well, the script supervisor has to read all the other roles live with the actors. So the script supervisor is very involved in creating the performance of the scene because they are reading aloud and reading back and forth and acting with all of the actors who are present in the scene. And it is a, that is a scary job. Uh, it's a difficult job. Um, and a director really relies on the script supervisor to do that artfully uh, and within the sort of vision that the director has. Um, some of the things, again, some of the, you know, Janine will speak to you about, uh, I'm sure, the professional side of, of the job, and, 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 and no one knows it better than her. She is by far the best script supervisor I've ever worked with. Uh, and one of the things that she does, which I, I really count on her doing, is she helps me just deal with, like, actor and crew health and safety. You know, because sometimes as a director, I, 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 you know, I get a bee in my bonnet, and I'm just go, go, go. And Janine's like, hey, Fish, you know, I'm, 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 I'm here with these guys every day. You know, the, Anson's getting tired. He, if you do one more take, he's going to scream at you. <laughs> you know, so, uh, or, or, you know, the crew's getting burnt out. We know, so a lot of the times the script supervisor, again, this, is, this isn't anything you'd see on a resume or anything you'd, you'd learn in a, in a film class, but this is one of the very important things that they do is they kind of keep a pulse on this actor health and safety. What is their attention span? What is their interest in keeping going? Can they do it? Can they keep, can they get something else out of this? Um, one of the, you know, one of the hardest parts about being the script supervisor is you also have to work up chain, up, 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 um, what's that? up the ladder or uh, uh, up, up the chain. Um, the script supervisor often has to go to executive producers and give them tough news. Hey, uh, the director didn't get the scene. We didn't get the coverage. Uh, uh, or hey, uh, the, the, the actor couldn't do the dialogue. We didn't get what you wanted. Um, and again, it's a very challenging part of the job that involves not only discretion, but, but, but an, an artful and kind and considerate way to, to bring these things up uh, because they can sometimes affect someone's job. Um, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to, to kind of help manage the set, but to have to be the person to call and give you know, sometimes bad news to executive producers uh, it is a tough thing to do. I would say bottom line, you know, the script supervisor is, is, is the closest partner to a director, is, is, is truly a second director on set, uh, and is, is, is the most important ally a writer and director will have. Um, and um, that's sort of, sort of the meat of what I have to say. Um, do I have time left or am I out? Give uh, like three more minutes if you want to go. There you go. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see, what else would I like to say? Um, let me go back a little bit into the involvement of a producing director with a script. Because that's a tricky subject and that's something you could do multiple classes just on. Um, so it, it's one of the things you'd want to do as least as possible in filmmaking in any way is, is to really think in, in binary terms. Uh, it, it's, 
it, it, it does not serve you well. To, to, it's, it's never the writer versus the director or the director versus the producer or the actor versus the writer. Uh, you know, it, it, as much as you can open your mind and, 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 and kind of take binary thought out of, of the, the collaborative process and, and you start to really see that everyone is working together to be some part of something bigger. You know, Star Trek, uh, uh, not to sound too preachy, but it is truly a show about if we work hard and if we work fair and if we treat others with empathy, uh, we can actually reach the stars. That, they're, they're, that, that humanity has, the best of humanity is yet to come and we will do it together. And, and that's, a, that's a big part of Star Trek storytelling. So we try to, you know, we, we are not one of those shows that believes that filmism that, you know, good, a good episode can come from a bad experience. We are trying to create a positive experience for everyone that comes into Star Trek. It is truly a family. Uh, and um, so taking that to the script, everyone's opinion matters. And so even though the, the producing director generally gets involved with the script at the script stage, Everyone from the actor to the director to the script supervisor has the ability to comment, change and evolve the script on the set. So when the script comes to the floor and the actors rehearse it and it doesn't sound right. And, 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 and I use the word right in quotes because but it doesn't sound, it doesn't work. The actor says it doesn't work. The director says it doesn't work. Even the writer sometimes says, hey, my, my words aren't working right now. So at that point, everybody gets involved and everyone's role sort of fades away. It doesn't matter if someone's a PA, uh, a production assistant, or it doesn't matter if someone is, is, uh, does hair and makeup. You know, everyone kind of hears it and listens to it. And we kind of bring it into this little uh, collaborative uh, um, uh, uh, teapot uh, and we try to make it work. And sometimes that is really great. Uh, and, and sometimes that's really hard. And again, the script supervisor, a lot of times has to kind of step in and, and find that through line. You know, when, when the script doesn't work um, or the scene doesn't work and, and we kind of break it apart and, and, and try to, then try to reverse engineer it and deconstruct it, you know, someone has to make sure it gets back together and quickly and fastly and keep track of it. Um, and, and again, that is, one of the really tricky parts about being a script supervisor, uh, one of the really fun parts about being a script supervisor, um, but something that, that the Janine does very well. Um, and I guess that's about it. Um, I'm happy to answer any questions. Uh, and, um, and again, I'm honored to be here. And, um, um, you know, I know uh, I will say like, if I had to give one piece of just general advice is, I know everyone on this call is, is smart and talented and creative and passionate. Um, you know, for me, uh, what I've seen is the difference maker in my career and for, for, the, for the collaborators that I work with is this really, what makes a difference is being willing to put in the hard work, you know, being willing to grind, uh, never giving up. Um, uh, and the great thing about the film business, the TV business is, is, is uh, there, it's not a zero sum game. Uh, there isn't winners, it doesn't need to be winners and losers. There can be all winners. Uh, in fact, my strongest advice is to find other people like yourselves uh, or different than yourselves, uh, that, but that what you share is you share uh, the ability and the desire to work hard and start doing things together. Uh, uh, everyone on this call can make it. Everyone on this call can be exactly where all of us are today. Um, you know, the only thing you need to do is you need to work hard. So, 
So, so, so, so, so know you are the storytellers and you are the future uh, and tell stories with compassion and empathy uh, and help everyone around you. And uh, I can't wait to learn from you guys someday. Thank you. Chris, thank you very much. I, so once you got going, you realize there's so you could go for another hour, couldn't you? With everything, <laughs> with everything you know and have experienced, uh, I, I love. I would love to ask some questions. I know people have lots of questions for you. Write them down, guys, uh, and we're going to share that at the end. But uh, that was amazing, Chris, and fascinating. So I appreciate it. And uh, we're going to we're going to move on to our next guest. Uh, you mentioned her quite often, Janine Dupuy. Uh, she's the chairperson for IATSE 873. I hope it's 873 is how you pronounce it. Script Supervisors Committee. She is the script supervisor on Star Trek Strange New World. She also worked on Designated Survivor, The Christmas Chronicles, and more. She's a script and continuity supervisor with more than 25 years experience in film and television. She's originally from here, Toronto, and she now works internationally on projects across all genres. Her passion for continuity is invigorated by the creative problem solving and dealing with the ongoing challenges that arise while working on a film set. And she particularly enjoys how the position of script continuity encompasses all aspects of filmmaking. She's an avid practitioner of meditation and Dupuy encourages a holistic and facilitating environment, which she partially attributes to her success. I think uh, it's a big part of it. Uh, working together in a team environment on a, on a film must be so important. Janine, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you everyone for having me attend and be part of this. And thank you very much, Adrian, for inviting me and helping Powell. Um, I've always helped Powell since I was a child raising money for this wonderful organization by when I was a performer with the Famous People Players. The Famous People Players Theater Company used to raise money for Pal, and I'm grateful that I'm carrying on my family's tradition of uh, raising money for Pal, but in the way that I'm doing it now through film and television. So I'm very grateful. Thank you very much. Um, I started out as a script supervisor 25 years ago, but prior to that, I was performing with famous people players by the time I was born to the time I was a teenager. I performed with famous people players all over the world um, and been on the with them on Broadway many times. So I understood at a very young age, I grew up with understanding story, understanding lighting cues, understanding settings, how to set up a story, how to construct a story. I understood actors at a very young age because I was an actor myself and understood like when Chris said, you know, if an actor's getting too tired, can they deliver the performance and this, I understood all those elements at a very young age because I was the performer. I decided in my early twenties to get into film and television. And I went to Vancouver film school and I took their foundation film full-time program. There I learned all aspects of filmmaking, cinematography, lighting, sound, editing. And I met the script supervisor from New York, Deborah Margolas that taught there. And she took me under her wing and that was my introduction to being a script supervisor. When I saw Deborah Margolas on set, I realized this position encompassed everything that I was doing in theater. And it was the closest thing that reminded me of being on stage. And so I studied it and it's a very hard position. There's a side of it that no one wants to talk about a lot of paperwork, a ton of paperwork. 
is involved in the position. And that's the, the big turnoff for a lot of people who don't want to do it in the end is because it's a lot of paperwork. Um, I'm very grateful to be working with somebody like Chris Fisher. He's a He's the nicest guy. He's so humble and he's a genius and he's always reinventing himself as a director, as a producer, as a filmmaker, as a human being. And he's always elevating and setting the bar and trying something new. And he's fearless, completely fearless. And I admire that in him. And I, and I look up to him for being such a fearless individual because we do such a, extraordinary things on Strange New Worlds. And if you get to see the show, please go on Paramount Plus, sign up for the app and uh, log on to it and watch it, stream it, watch it with your friends, watch it with your family. It's a fantastic show. We're doing things with visual effects that are fantastic. The cast is fantastic. And we're carrying on the tradition of Star Trek, of inclusion, diversity, and being there for all for everyone everywhere in the universe. And it's fantastic. And what I like about working on the production is that the same morals of the show we have behind the scenes and we all work as a team and we all come from different walks of life and we work together to tell a fantastic story and, um, and take people on a journey. And that's what it's like when you're a script supervisor, you go on a journey with a director, you are the director's right arm and left hand brain you're there to protect the director to protect the script to be there to assist him to make sure him or her or them to make sure that everything is what they envision and how to help them with that and yes a continuity mistake you can laugh about it it's funny oh well and it was in this hand and then it was in this hand but when you see a cut scene and you have those mistakes it takes you away from the wonderful filmmaking and then you do start laughing at those things and um, it takes you away from the story something as simple as that could ruin a scene in a way and so I'm there to prevent those things I always say I'm the script police on set I get the script I read it once or twice and then I do a script timing and what that means is I visualize from scene one to the very end of the episode or the very end of the movie, I visualize what how long each scene is going to be. I visualize in my mind the pacing of the actor's performances, how they're going to say those lines, fast or slow, how the camera's going to be, how we're going to move with the actors, how we're going to tell the story. And I come up with a running time of how long it's how long it's going to be for each scene. And I submit that to the production and I submit it to the directors and it gives them an idea. Okay, we got 50 pages and this is how much time. And what that tells the director and the producers that, you know, they are going to be shooting way too much footage that is unnecessary and that they can save money by not shooting way too much footage or tells them, you know what, you're on track. Everything's all good. Or, you know what you, this is so short, this movie, you don't have enough footage to, to air a one hour production. And I just recently worked on a production that was short where I had to tell the producers, you only have 35 minutes. And we all know that an episode of television is like 40, 44 minutes with commercials. 
So they had to come up with inventive ways with the director and with the script, how to add more time, have more scenes, how to draw out the scenes with the camera. So right away, the script timing really helps them with the with how they're how to visualize the text, the text into visuals. And if they have, if it is in the time allocated for where their markets are for that product, for the film, for the episode. After they get their script timing, I start breaking down the script. I start with scene one and I go in sequential order and I break it down for everything. I break it down for if the scene where it's being shot, is it taking place inside a hair salon or is it taking place in a park? Is it in, in the daylight? Is it in the nighttime? How many actors are in the scene? What happens in that scene? What are the props that the script specifies? She's on the phone. Well, is it a cell phone or a landline? Um, it's all very important to every little detail. You know, they grab the files. Where do they get the files from? In their desk? Is it in a bag? And these are all things I have to keep track of with all the many departments that make up a complex film set from working with the hair and makeup department to make sure the hair and makeup and scene one matches the same later on because that scene later on happens on the same day as scene one. And we see that person again and they have to be in the same wardrobe and the ha same hairstyle and same hair makeup. And so I do a breakdown of the script. It's called the script supervisors one liner and it gets issued to every department. And it's, it's a little cheat sheet as I call it. It tells you the script and just a few pages and everything that you need for that script, what's required of it. All departments get the script breakdown and they will do their own script breakdowns, but they refer to it because they know, well, Janine's calling scene one Monday and Janine's calling scene six Thursday. So they can plan for each, the, the, the look for each day in the movie has a different look. Each day in the movie has a different hairstyle or different wardrobe most of the time. If an actor got uh, cut in scene one, did the cut on his face carry over to scene six? So everybody needs to know that. Makeup needs to know when we shoot scene six, do we have a little scar here from where the cut was? Um, and these are all important things to keep track of because like I say, you watch a movie, you see a guy cut in the face and he walks out in the next scene and there's nothing there. It takes you away from the story. What happened to that cut? He just got knocked out why did he and then you're not into the story anymore and there becomes a laughing matter in the theater or at home oh did you see that rewind that look at that so now you're out of the story and um and and it can also you're there to prevent mistakes because sometimes we shoot the aftermath of the fight before the fight so we have to work with the stunt directors and the director and the producer in terms of how, how where is the hit going to be? Because we're going to see the person here later on and is how the clothes are going to be. He ripped his jacket in the fight. Now, when we see him in the next scene, we have to show that that jacket ripped. So even though we plan everything, there's things that happen on set that change that we have to keep track of or all the things that actually do happen. So that's another why it's important to have a script supervisor's breakdown on set. I work with all departments on set. 
I sit next to the director all day long. We go through each take. I keep track of what takes the director likes, what takes the producers like, and I keep track of what takes are good for continuity and what takes are not going to work in the edit. Um, I keep track. Well, in scene three, you know, her ponytail was like this, but then all of a sudden in scene four, it was like this, but the director likes scene three. So we're going to tell hair and makeup and everybody that and the actress that it has to be like this for the rest of the scene. Um, I have to keep track of when an actor takes off their glasses. And I have to know that because in the close up, they'll have to take it off. And if you see designated survivor, Kiefer Sutherland is playing the president of the United States, wearing his glasses in the Oval Office, being there in the president's dress. Very important. Um, I had to remind Kiefer of his eyeglass continuity all the time. But most important is about the script as well. I have to keep track of the dialogue and I have to keep track of what's rudimentary for their character so it's not out of continuity. And we also get a ton of revisions from the writers that are sent on a daily basis and I have to incorporate into the script and keep track to make sure everything is in continuity. They said in scene six that she was a doctor in scene eight. Now they're saying she's somebody else. No, she's a doctor. This has to be the right scene. Now she's saying she loves him in scene seven, but in scene eight, she's saying she likes him. Do you, does she like him now? Was there a change? Do we need to see that in the performance or is this the way the line is to be read? There's all sorts of things that are taken into consideration when we're shooting. The hard part about being a script supervisor is that we shoot everything out of continuity, which means we do not shoot the movie sequentially from scene one to scene 100 in order. We shoot out of order due to location and actor availability. So keeping track of everything and being precise and accurate is very crucial. And all I can say out there, if I can be a script supervisor from being a puppeteer and dancer and actor, any one of you can. It's a challenging position. IATSE Toronto is always looking for good script supervisors. There's a great independent world out there where you can learn. There's great programs out there that you can join. And you can always contact, uh, contact any script supervisor in our department if you're interested in taking a class with us. We'd love to have you and never give up and never let anyone tell you that you cannot do something or you're not good at anything. You follow your path, your mission. If you have to meditate on it, I'm a big practitioner of meditation, do it. And you, if you can do anything you want in the film industry, I started out as a PA and now I'm the script supervisor on Star Trek and I'm grateful to be here. And thank you so much for having me. Janine, thank you very much, sir. That took me a second to get my own mute. Um, the continuity things you were talking about, and when you do see something that's a mistake in a movie, it can drive you nuts for the rest of it. It's so important, that continuity. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, and I know you're going to stick around. We have uh, lots of questions, I'm sure, from everybody here. But for now, we're just going to move on to our uh, next wonderful speaker. And uh, it's June Capito. Janine, thank you again. And uh, everybody write some more questions. I'm sure you guys have lots, and we'll get to those after our next speaker, who is June Capito. And she's the creative director, story weaver slash coach. After spending 36 inspiring years in post-secondary education, developing leadership programs to help students find a sense of purpose and social direction, 
June's focus now is to continue to create provocative theater experiences that guide the integration, acceptance, and compassion for others through increased understanding of what another has experienced or is experiencing. Truth and Illusion follows a series of monologue workshops June has presented in Ontario. Truth and Illusion is a soul-searching exercise as it takes an intense creative process for someone to come up with a heartfelt monologue. Performers dig deep. The complete process of crafting the narrative response is deep, dark, and delicious. As each performer processes their world inside, they can discover enlightenment. This method is inspired by the three main stages of the hero's journey, a narrative pattern identified by Joseph Campbell, world's celebrated mythologist. The teachings of Campbell serve as the inspiration for the production. He asserts that storytelling and myths relate to our search for truth, meaning, and significance. According to Campbell, we all need to tell our personal story, and most importantly, to understand our story. He encourages us he encourages, encourages us, excuse me, to view parts of our lives as heroic journeys, to find out what excites us and makes that the basis of our quest. And we invite you to accompany the performers on their journey. That is about what is happening with June and joining us now, June Caputo. June. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really excited to tell you about what I do. Um, First of all, I want to say that storytelling obviously has been around for centuries, and it's been the key way that we communicate and entertain. But more importantly, it's a way that we can evolve as an individual, connecting to a story, or how our society could evolve. And um, for me, I realized a long time ago that the stories we tell connect us. and I'm sure that you all have a story to tell. And I'm sure that it's one that I could relate to in one way or another. I'm sure it's unique and, but in many ways, very universal. So I say, why do I do story coaching or why would you wanna do story coaching? And the, mo the bottom line really for me is that it's a way to bring a powerful, entertaining story into the world. And it helps when you're coaching somebody to help them simplify really complex feelings and ideas or conflicting ideas. And I'm going to take you through a process that I go through with people uh, to give you some idea of how you might do this. Um, it also opens imagination. So one of the key things that's really important is new thinking new ideas, and to guide them, guide the storyteller, whether they're writing, whether it's musically, a poem, digitally, what, however they want to communicate their story, um, as to guide them how to get the best expression out of that story. So I think about why do writers or performers come to me? Well, sometimes they have a story that needs to come out and they just can't seem to catch it. They can't, they can't grab onto it. And so through a process that I take them through, I help them, I help them grab onto it. It's there, they know it's there, but they can't catch it. Also, they've started a story, a great story, but they've got this huge creative block. They get stuck and they just don't know how to get unstuck. 
And so a coach can help them get unstuck. Or sometimes they just want to start from scratch. They just want to create something new just for a whole new project. And so there's ways that I can, or a coach would work to get them to, to come up with this new project. Um, the whole idea is to open up a dialogue, to get people to connect with their personal truths, to help them find clarity. And, and the big thing is, is the new ideas and the creative thinking and the enlightenment. The, the thing that I try to do is create a very safe space. Because in order for someone to do this with someone else, they have to feel a sense of trust. And I usually do that. One of the key things is I start sharing some of my story or a piece of my story. And my vulnerability opens up to their vulnerability. And it also opens up to reflection, which is the key starting point to a lot of this. It truly is a soul searching exercise, the way I do it anyway. Um, so my creative process, which is not necessarily mine, like I said, um, that it was explained in my introduction that I've done a lot of work and research on many people, Carl Jung, um, Joseph Campbell, and a lot of it um, the process that I've come up with, I follow a series of steps and I, I'm going to put them in very simplistic um, um, words for you to try and get you to, to understand what I do. Um, the first thing I ask someone to do is to let go of any expectation. Like kind of let go of an expectation of where you think your story might go. Because being open to surprise the surprise that's hidden within yourself is one of the huge parts of developing your story. So I have a lot of success with people when I ask the writer, storyteller, performer, um, a question or a series of questions based on what I've got to know them. One of the questions, um, and just to give you an idea, might be, have you ever told a lie to hide your fears? Have you ever created something that sort of hid what you're really afraid of? And that type of a probing question is just not a passing, a passing question. It's something that they really have to dig into and engage into. And um, I ask them to write. I ask them to write as much as they can. I ask them even they can draw pictures. Um, and I tell them not to worry about writing something beautiful or, you know, punctuation. I actually ask them to do just the opposite, to let go and just to let their thoughts go. Write a poem, lyrics, whatever it is to try and answer these questions. And like, um, for example, right now I'm working on a project called The Parent Trap. And so I've asked a series of performers that are going to be forming in it. And, and writing their stories as to, has there been a time in your life when your parents, you know, have influenced you to do something that maybe you didn't really want to do? You know, what was it and what happened? So once reviewing responses, um, we can dig a bit deeper. And, and as we get ideas and a story starting to form, um, that's when a process has to come forward. Because it has to now take on a flow. 
And the flow that I sort of work with is trying to get the storyteller to bring me, the audience, some way into their ordinary world. Um, like, for example, um, oh, let me think. If you, my ordinary world, if I was trying to get you to write a story about when you've told a lie to cover up your fear or something about your parents, I could say my ordinary world might be something as simple as I grew up in my family owned bowling alley in Hamilton, Ontario. So what we're doing is we're bringing the actual audience into that person's world. We're taking them into shallow water. I mean, we can go on and on. I was six years old. Um, I had to work. It, I had to work in this bowling alley. This was my life. Um, the next phase. Um, so we could go on about that. The next part would be to take them a little bit deeper into a little bit deeper water. And so we start to talk about the storyteller becoming aware of some sort of conflict or problem or fear. Like, um, okay, I grew up in this bowling alley, but I want to tell you, um, I was never able to attend any events because I had to help every day. I had to do all the chores around this bowling alley. So I acted like, um, you know, to my friends that I was better than them because I had a bowling alley. But the reality was there was a huge conflict happening within me. Okay, moving on. Then I would need to let them know at some point the real truth behind the fact that I was lying to my friend, that I was trying to cover up something, that um, that I had to I had to have this conflict between not being able to be with my friends. And so the truth around that may be, you know, my parents couldn't afford to have someone replace me at the bowling alley. So I had to go to work with them every day after school and I lost my best friend. And that best friend had to replace me. So then all of a sudden, um, there's a truth that's lying out there. And it's going to allow me, the storyteller in the audience, to actually go into some deeper waters with the storyteller. And the ability now to say, based on that tension, am I going to let go? Am I going to move forward? What am I going to do? So you could tell in your story, well, I finally had the opportunity to tell my friend this truth. And dot, dot, dot. We worked out something. The ending usually falls into some sort of place in a, of enlightenment. And not necessarily resolution, but a new way of thinking and learning for both the storyteller and the audience. Like... Well, to be honest with you, I got to be a really great bowler. And, you know, I developed many skills on how I might run a business. Or, I mean, there, there could be all sorts of enlightenment that comes through. And it could be a real zinger. And the whole opportunity of being open to surprise and where this story is going to go is, is sort of where the coach really wants to take the writer or the performer at this particular time. So um, opening up someone's mind and hearts to basically their own pleasures and possibilities 
um, to try and inspire or motivate them um, is really key, not just for the storyteller, but for their audience. Then if we look at the concept of story reading, so I've done this on a tremendous amount of themes. I would pick a theme and I would work with a group of people or I audition a group of people who are interested in coming up or working with me on a story on a particular theme. And one was dream narratives, how dreams affect our waking life. I mean, theme could be anything. It could be our environment. What, whatever you choose, whatever your personal inspiration um, about a story or developing a script or something that you would want to do. Um, I found that the magic in creating um, opportunities for people and to coach them into telling these stories around the theme, I could actually make a tapestry of a bigger story that speaks to our society or just speaks to all issues. Because you have a story, I have a story, but in many times we're so connected in so many ways. We may, we may come from different backgrounds, um, different upbringings, but the end result is um, there's so many ways that we connect with each other. And one of the things that I've done with Truth and Illusion was I brought the series of people who wrote these stories, who talked about how they used, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, a, uh, a fear, an illusion to hide what they were most afraid of. They created something so big in their head and we all do it. I just found it connected with so many people and to create a tapestry of those stories. I then worked with a musical director uh, who came to workshops and, and watched these people and listened to these stories. And we started to write music to heighten some of the pain and, and bring forward some of the, uh, the depth of each of the stories. And the fact that they integrated so well, and they all followed that pattern of they all came from this ordinary world. And then they moved into this sense of awareness. And then they moved with, okay, I'm really going to tell you what the friggin' truth is. And then they moved on to, I'm not going to let go of this because I'm terrified. And then they moved into, well, if I did let go, what light can I bring to this world? Turned into this beautiful uh, story that currently has addressed so many of our societal issues. And Truth and Illusion right now is a project that I am evolving and hoping to get into schools and communities, even organizations, because I think people who see these stories um, and even if it's not this topic, there's so many topics that I want to explore and I want to do this with that um, they're going to connect on so many levels and they're going to continue those stories. I can guarantee you cannot go to see Truth and Illusion and not carry everybody's story with you forever because they're just so powerful and so moving. And I just, I just have to say that I have had the privilege and the honor to hear some of the most beautiful stories. And um, I really, really hope that if this is something in any way that has inspired you to write story or to go out and perhaps get someone to tell you their story, 
whether it be a parent or um, someone you admire or even writing your own story. Um, I, I truly think it's it's something that will, you will value forever. Um, I don't know what else. I've just got a few minutes. Um, um, I can I can jump in with you, June, because June, sure. you know that June and I just work together because I have an interesting story that I believe that I'd like to tell about being someone of very uh, a very mixed background um, and living in a society where you are pigeonholed and pegged as being uh, something based on how you look. So I look a certain way. So people may look at me and identify me how they think that I am, but I'm actually not what you think I am. Um, so June and I are working on a project based on a poem that I've written about being, uh, being mixed and living in a society that does not actually acknowledged, acknowledge mixed people. So it's, it's, it's a fun story. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heavy story, but it's also, we're gonna try to make it fun in some way. So she's amazing at having you sit down, tell your story and get your thoughts together and put, put together what you want to express um, to the world. So she's a good, it's, it's a really interesting way of, of, of uh, developing a story that you wanna tell. So um, that's why I invited her here um, because I think storytelling is, is really such a, a, an important part of our, of our lives and our societies. And many of us hold our stories within and we don't want to tell them because of fear. And I think this is what June helps people to do. And I'm sure Chris, uh, on the other hand, there can 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 relate to the number of actors that they've met and he's that he's met, Chris, Chris and, and Janine, who are actually living roles in the movie in the part that they're playing, and nobody actually knows. And you can you can a lot of times see the 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 uh, emotion that a lot of them express and you ask them after like, what was that? Well, I really connected with that part of this script. And that's where a lot of this comes from and what June helps you uh, um, work on. So, Roger. I think uh, now it's up to you, Jim. I imagine you all have lots of questions. I, uh, I would love to ask a bunch too, uh, June. The storytelling is so important. Uh, working in news and media, that's what it was. It wasn't about the facts, it was about the story. You want to hear people's story and, and you and share it. And it's it is an art to be able to to get that from people. So uh questions. I think if you raise your hand, we'll try and go in order. I don't I can't see everybody's name. So Adrian, you may have to help me with that. The okay, first so one I'm seeing is with, you've got the logo, you've got all your posters and stuff in the background. I don't I can't see your name Aylin, on it. Sorry. Aylin Cohen Cohen. Aylin, how about you go first? You start things off. Thank you. Um, first off, I really enjoyed this meeting. It was amazing. And uh, like, so I can only have one question, right? Well, let's see. Let's see how many questions people have, how many people have questions, and we'll go from there. Uh, okay. so who's the first question for? So I had one for June about the storytelling program. I was wondering how we could get involved in it or like, yeah, I just wanted to know how we could get involved in her process so we could maybe work with her. I just, I needed, I wanted to know a bit about that. Sure. Uh, I think my volume's on, is it? I just haven't checked. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. 
So, um, so we can get you my uh, personal information. Like you can email me. Uh, are you are you a writer, a performer? What is your passion? Yeah. So yeah, I was actually going to ask about that too. I was um, I wanted to know about the performing one actually. The perform performing your own personal narrative story, mm -hmm. your story. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah, we can get you my email, and I would be happy to connect with you and and work with you on and helping you get your story out. Absolutely. Thank and, you. I mean, without getting into how we would go about that, but where do you live? Are you in? Uh I live in Winnipeg at the moment. In Winnipeg. Well, that's okay. We can we can figure something out. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sounds like you got a good story. Go on, go on again, Aileen. <laughs> Ask another question. Sure. I just I just wanted to know. Um, would the email be like emailed to me, or is it going to? Uh, yeah, be we will. Job? We will. I will okay. email. We will email it to you. Okay. Sure. Thank okay. you. And you Thank have you another so question for anyone else? No, no. That's okay. all for now. Thank you. Ashley. Hi, everyone, and thank you. I really am enjoying this meeting as well. Um, I have a, a question for James Fisher and Janine. Um, it's how can I get in a position as a script supervisor, or I mean like an entry level position, like what steps are involved and um, yeah, how can I start that journey? I can answer just generally more about the film TV business. Um, I will say that one of the things I like about the film and television vision, film and television business the most um, is that it's very egalitarian. Um, um, and except for the small handful of people who happen to be the sons of a studio executive, um, everyone starts from the bottom. Um, like I said, I started in the mailroom. Uh, I, I had a film degree and a law degree, and I went and started in the mailroom. Um, I loved working in the mailroom. It was the best experience I ever had in my life. It was so exciting and so fun, and I learned so much. Um, so my, my Janine will speak more specifically to, to get becoming a script supervisor, but my advice to anyone who wants to be in the film and television business is move to a city that is a production hub. Um, what are production hubs? Production hubs are Vancouver. Production hubs are, are Toronto. Um, for to, in a slightly lesser way, you know, there's a lot of filming in Calgary. There's some in Winnipeg. Uh, but but it's really if you're looking at Canada, it's if, if you want to get in the film and television business, get yourself to Toronto or Vancouver, and take any job you can get. It doesn't matter what that job is. People will be seeing you for the talent that you have, not for the, the job that you're hired for. Um, that in fact is, is my job. My job is to identify talent um, from, from the an, anywhere on our show and to promote those people, inspire those people. Um, there's no imp more important part of my job than to recognize talent in our crew. Um, so so that's, that's my advice, it's, it's, it's very hard um, if you don't live in Toronto or Vancouver, I know you're moving. Um, it's very easy if you already do or you're willing to move. Um, go to a place where they're making TV shows and films and take any job you can get and just do the best job you can and, and magical things will happen for you. Thank you so much. Sorry for calling you James. <laughs> 
I meant I, to say Chris. Everyone calls me Fish, by the way. No one calls me Chris. I, Janine, uh, I, I go by Fish. So you can call me anything. I'm all good. Okay. Ashley, th- thank you very much. And one of the, I, I don't know, for my, for my career, one of the best pieces of I got, I, advice I got from college, one of my instructors, when you're first looking for that first job, it's the hardest one to get. You're going to get dozens of rejection letters or emails. Back in the day, it was letters. But you only need the one that says yes, and it's the hardest one. But you just have to keep plugging away at that at the level you're at now, and people will see you. They'll see your talent, and they'll see your hard work and drive, and that and that's the big thing. And it, it takes a while, but it will happen. You just have to keep plowing through it. Thank you. Uh, any other questions? Point for Ashley. Ashley, another where area that you can learn and observe a lot about the film industry and its magnitude is to do some background work, some extra work. When you're an extra in a background, you get to see everything going on around you. You don't have a big role, but you are a very instrumental part of that show. You don't, people don't realize how important, and Janine can speak to that as well, and Chris, how important the background is. So when you are watching a movie and you see people walking up and down the streets in the background, they are hired people they're not people just off the street. They're hired to do that. But while you're doing this job, though you're not making a lot of money, you're getting to see everything going on around you. You're getting to see the director work. You're getting to see the locations managers work. You're getting to see the, 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 the producers work, the, the whole gamut of the industry. So as you get older and you can get into that, if you want to have an entry level job and to see the entire industry in its whole, do some background work. I don't know if Chris agrees, Janine agrees, but I think it's a great way to. I, not only do I agree, but I, I there's proof proof in the pudding here. Davy Perez, uh, who is an executive producer and writer on Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, and you can look up his credits, got his start as a background artist. He started as an extra. Uh, Janine's worked with him. Uh, Janine can speak to his talent and character. He started as an extra. He, he got experience. He, Sat there, you're on set for 12 hours watching actors, directors, and writers work. There's no better way to learn the job. So everything you said is is, is absolutely correct. And 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 there's a person on our show who who has lived that story. All right, Ashley, thank you very much. We're going to move on. I see some hands coming up now. And uh, Jillian, you were next. And uh, what's your question? Hello. First off, I'd like to say thank you to all of you guys for this wonderful experience. It's been awesome to hear from you. And then, so this is for Jian. I would like to hear about how has your post-secondary education equipped you for your career? And then any advice for people looking to go into film when selecting a post-secondary program? And then Chris, if you have any comments on that too, I'd love to hear. Thank you. Janine, you're muted. I graduated high school with a performance scholarship from, from my secondary school, the Drama Prize Award. I was active in the drama program in high school. And in my, I did a co-op program through my high school. I was very lucky. I got into a co-op program in theater where I was studying not only theater performance, but theater behind the scenes as well, working backstage, working in lighting, working with sound. And it was through my co-op program so that helped what it did my my high school. It helped prepare me when I got an entry level 
at a job at a production company being the receptionist at a commercial production company because I had that background in my drama and everything. They knew that I had an interest in uh, telling stories. It was for commercials. And I got a job working as a receptionist. Before you knew it, I got pulled one day to be an onset PA, taking out the garbage, which was a huge, big step up. And from being a PA, it gave me my letters of reference to get into film school ultimately. So it may seem like a little nothing job, but these are the, all these connections are important to get you to the next level. And I was a background performer as well. I worked all kinds of entry level jobs. I was a background performer on X-Files and that was a huge thing. And I got to see the lighting and understand this and see how the camera was. And I saw, I learned who the first AD was and learned all about that. And it was fantastic. And all these entry level jobs, you get a slew of them, you build up a little resume, you get your letters of recommendation, your emails of letter of recommendation. And before you know it, you can start applying for getting your hours into the union to apply for a job. I, I would add that um, I don't think there's any film school or at least uh, our uh, uh, focus on specifically script supervising. Um, I think any degree in any film degree will prepare you well for it. Um, you know, as Janine, so, um, uh, <laughs> you know, when Janine was talking about her job, you know, and then thinking of all that she does on set, and then she also has to go home and do three hours of paperwork every night. Um, you know, I get stressed just thinking about that. I can't believe that there's someone as talented as she is that can pull that job off. Um, so, you know, I think as far as what you should be doing now in school to become a script supervisor, I think the, the, the quick answer is any film degree, uh, any film class, any film experience is gonna be helpful because you have to know everything. <laughs> as Janine described, you have to know everybody's job to be a script supervisor. Um, that's the, that's the, the, the easy hard part about it. Um, just very quickly, my take on education and, 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 and how I got here. I loved hearing June uh, speak and especially about Joseph Campbell. You know, I, I think, I don't think the world works linearly. I, I think things work in waves and in cycles and circles. You know, I went to USC to study film and then I got turned on to Joseph Campbell and philosophy. And I started then study, I got to move from film more into philosophy. And then in philosophy, I got hooked into Homer and Hesiod and the Iliad and the Odyssey and storytelling as a way to inculcate values and morals. And then I got turned on to law school and I went to law school to change the world. And I was going to go, you know, screw film. I'm going to go just change it with a, with a hammer and a nail. And then I, forgot how much I loved writing and I went back into film and then I just went and got a job at the mailroom. So I spent seven years and, you know, uh, a million student loans to, to, to get a doctorate in law. And then I got a job in the mailroom and that's okay. Uh, it took me a long time to figure it out. And I, you know, I, I, I you know, June is so right to say like the, 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 we all have that store inside of you, whatever you need to do with your education to, to, to work on your voice, find your voice, to find your emotion, whatever that education is, whether it's formal or otherwise, that's what you need to do. Very true. Let's move on. We've got a few hands up there. Um, Adrian, you can help me on this one. 
Jangri, Jangri, Jangri. I know it's one of the hardest last names, um, but I'm Michaela and Michaela, Jane, hi, Michaela. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Uh, we had a chance to meet, actually, I'm one of the Star yes. Trek back in the fall. Um, and so I just had a question um, involving writers on set and just going back into your Rolex of some of the most more successful writers um, you've seen on set, like what were some of those behaviors um, and how you how you interacted with them or how they interacted well with you? Oh, okay. Well, I think uh, probably the most famous writer was that I've worked with is our writer on Star Trek, Akiva, who won the Oscar for a beautiful for writing the script for a beautiful mind. Yes, yes. Yes. Um, working with him, he's very, you know, very serious man. Uh, he has a lot on his mind because he's also the writer, the producer, and the director when he's directing Star Trek. Um, he's very specific. And when you're working with a writer of that caliber, you know right away that the dialogue is to be verbatim from the cast. And if there's any deviations from the script, you alert the cast and a, a, someone like Akiva right away, you know, sir, the line here, and she said this, is this okay with you? And you make sure it's okay with them before you move on to the next camera setup so that you know that that line is good in, in each angle, that they have it verbatim in each angle. And if they want the actors to deviate or experiment, oh no, you know, I like that, that's actually better than what I wrote, or, you know, I this one has more meaning, let's stick with that, what, the way they said it, then I let the actor know, and then they, they do the line that way. And I make a note in my script supervising notes as to the deviation in the script, why they liked it, and that we're going forward and using it. But I check everything with the writer. Working with writers, they're all sensitive, I find. And I could relate to that because I'm a sensitive girl myself. And I check every line with them. And I make sure it's what they want. And I make sure that the communication is clear with me and working with the actors, with the writer. Sometimes the writer will say, you know what, Janine, I'll talk to the actors myself. You don't worry about it. I have to, I have to go over other things with them. So the, uh, so I'll say, okay. And sometimes they want my input. And another thing that I do for the act, for the writers is if an actor is having trouble, like what Chris was saying, sometimes they just forget. They don't, they can't remember the scene. They've been rehearsing the scene for two weeks and now they get on set and they're a blank page. So um, I, in between, in between the camera setups, I take them aside backstage and we rehearse the scene together one-on-one -on -one, and I act out the part of the other character and I do it as best I can and as close, closely to the other actor as I can. So it helps the actor who is struggling, I can give them something to help them. And I do a lot of acting and performing with them and it goes a long way. And um, you always check everything with the head writer. That's my advice. And don't take any kind of deviation for script. Oh, it's just a little thing they can cut around it. Don't make any of those choices. Always check with the writer. Thank you. So we have, we have, two new questions and two 
we other questions from two people have asked before. It's Chris and Janine and June. Are you guys okay to answer those four questions or should we just take the two new ones? I, I don't have any time pressure. I can stay on and answer okay, any questions. Oh, wow. Thank you. Oh my God, you're amazing. Uh, okay, so um, I think Roger, it was Ariana. Yep, Ariana's next. Ariana? We can't hear you. Ariana? Maybe while she's figuring out, why don't we, why don't we uh, move on? I know now Ashley and Anlin, you guys had a chance to ask a question. Let's uh, get Sophia in, if that's okay. And let her ask a question. If we get Ariana working again, we'll bring her back in as well. But uh, uh, Sophia, what's your, uh, what's your question? Hello. Uh, first, thank you so much for your time. Um, my question was, you mentioned um, Jane, Jane, that um, like there was a lot of paperwork involved. Um, so like what kind of paperwork would that be? like related to? I'm glad you asked that question. So as a script supervisor, you have the script in, in your hand at all times and you're making constant notes. And I'm just gonna show you what my script program looks like. Or how thick a script is. <laughs> well, I don't, we're all digital now, oh. but my script is in this iPad. And right now I have season one of my show that I'm currently working on all in here, all 10 scripts. And I um, use this program called Scripty and it logs each take. Oh, I don't know if you can see it properly. No, you can't. I log each take. So what I do, what the script supervisor does is I have to write down the shot description, camera on a dolly, wide shot, Pike and Anson and Vulcans walking into the starship, camera pushes into a close-up of, of Lieutenant Spock. Lieutenant Spock walks across the bridge to number one, medium shot of number one. She crosses to the captain's chair. She looks captain right at the view screen and the camera turns around and will visual effects a Klingon on the monitor. So I got to write a whole shot description of what the camera is doing. Not only do I have to do that, I also, if the actors, like I said, are changing their lines, I have to keep track of that so I can write that in the, to the new script. So when Pike walks in, let's say the, the scene was, okay, Enterprise, we are gonna go to planet 45-2 in District 9. And now he comes in and says, all right, Yahura, plant in the coordinates. We're going to planet number 145. I got a check. He changed the line. Is that okay? Yes, it's great. We love it better. He's including Yahura and it's giving her some action to type in the coordinates. We'll get a close-up of her. Don't forget, Janine, you got to remind us when we turn around on Yahura, now that we change that, she's got to type in the coordinates. So I got to keep track of the changes. And then I have to write down, Janine, what lens, the camera, what lens are they using? I got to keep track on all the measurements of the camera. What role was this, the camera when we're filming? I got to keep track of all the roles from each camera and sounds because picture and sound are filmed separately. And 
the slate that we used to clap merges the sound and picture together so it's all synced up in the, the the sound of the clap is what marries the picture and the sound together so in the editing they have a smooth take and i gotta keep track of all the technical data and in addition to it i have to keep track of how long the scene was so i wear a stopwatch and every time they call action i'm clocking it every time they call cut i stop and then I got to write the time down. And then at the end of the night, I got to add up every scene, what the time was. So I could tell the producers when they say, how many minutes did we shoot today? How long is our episode? And I got to figure out all the math based on all that information at the end of the night. And Chris Fisher gets in five minutes after wrap, a report on his desk that says we shot 10 pages, three scenes, got all these camera setups with these close-ups. These are all the deviations in the script. <laughs> and it's a lot of paperwork. So I think about a day, I'm writing about 30 to 50 pages a day. And, and one thing that might not uh, be clear to people not in the business is like, another way of asking uh, Janine what she does is who gets this paperwork? Well, this paperwork is for everybody in post-production. Nobody can, nobody can do their job. The editor can't edit the show without Janine's paperwork. VFX can't do their, their magic with VFX without Janine's paperwork. And why is that? Well, VFX needs to know what lenses we used when they start doing their VFX work. The editor needs to know how many takes we did and how long the takes are and which takes are good for the actors, which takes are good for the director. So nobody, uh, basically the script supervisor is an essential and, and, and an incredibly important piece of this wheel that turns um, without the, that paperwork, nobody in post-production can do their job. All right, well, let, well, let's try and squeeze in some more uh, questions for everybody here. And uh, Jillian, I, Ashley and Aylan, I, I appreciate your patience. Uh, we just want to get some different voices. So uh, Jillian, I don't think you asked the question yet. So, and actually, hang on, sorry, Jillian, before we go. I actually Ariana, already went. Ariana. I already went, but yeah. Oh, you already, already did, went. hang on, so one sec. Let's try if we can see if we can get Ariana here. I know she was having some uh, technical difficulties, but Ariana, is Hi, it working can you, now? Can you hear me now? Oh, there we go. Okay. Oh, amazing. Okay. Uh, first of all, thank you all so much for posting this. I've already learned so much. And just a special shout out to Janine because uh, I'm currently peeing on the production that she's on and she's such a caring and diligent script supervisor. Um, my question just in general was, um, how was kind of for Janine and if anyone else wants to hop in, uh, how do you kind of uh, balance your work and your life, especially when you're kind of coming up <laughs> in this industry? That's an excellent question. Um, all I can say is the first key word is set your boundaries. You have to know how to set your boundaries. And you also have to know to also give yourself enough time to do things. Don't just, when you're scheduling your time, don't say, oh, I, I can do that in 20 minutes. Always give yourself more time because things come up. And then you don't have the pressure of the time constraint. What I do, it took me a long time, but I got into a whole feng shui of what I do to balance out 
my personal life with, with my, uh, with my work life. It took a long time, but I did a lot of feng shui. I'm into yoga. I'm into meditation and I spend a lot of time doing that, which really helps me focus. And it gives me the personal time and self-care time that I need for myself after working 80 hours a week, 70 to 80 hours a week. Um, I say, love yourself in your off time, take care of yourself and never push away appointments like dentists and doctors and, and all that. Take care of your, take care of your teeth, take care of your health and on the weekend. Okay. So I can't see everybody that I want to see. That's okay. But I'll have one visit. I'll have one visit a weekend with somebody and, um, I make a time. There's a great thing called email nowadays. And on my lunch break, I'll take a time to send an email out to my family to let them know, hey, everything's going great. And I keep in communicado with my family that way. Um, there's Facebook that I keep track with my friends with if I don't get to see them. But I always keep in touch with everyone, even if I send them a text. I'll do that on my lunch break a couple of times a week. I call it Janine's text time. And I'll sit there and text all my friends, pictures, how you're doing, catch up with them. And you just have to make time to do it. If you don't, you miss out. And this business, we work such long, grueling hours. It's not worth it to miss out on those moments. You know, those are the people that are going to be there for us when we need them the most in our off time, when we're recuperating from a long show. And uh, say, keep in touch with all your family and friends, no matter where you are filming, what country you're in, what city you're in. It's great with this digital age that we can do that so efficiently now. And in your off time, love yourself, take care of yourself and eat right. And you see me, Ariana, on set. I'm a healthy choice girl. And that's mm -hmm. the way to go. And that's the way to go. You know, when you go to craft service, you have a choice. You can either have the orange juice or a bottle of water or the Coke, make a choice. You know, you can change. I'm going to have a Pepsi or I'm going to have the orange juice or you go up to crafty and you're really hungry and you're rushing. You have a choice. You can have the, the tuna sandwich or you can have the chocolate bar. That is your choice. They provide a choice. So always try to get the healthy choices. You know, if they have an apple there, try to get the apple. And that's what I try to do with everything. Uh, last year, I quit coffee in December because I was just drinking way too much coffee I was finding in the film industry. So I switched the tea now and it's been a year and I've noticed a huge difference. And working on companies like Star Trek and on CBS, I mean, they provide us with water bottles, fill them up, drink as much water as you can throughout the day, hydrate yourself. It all starts with little things like that. And if you can take care of the little things, then you don't let the big, big things build up. And have someone that you can call at two and three in the morning anytime. Yeah, like I call Adrian. So, you know, so have a friend that you can call. Raj. Well, Chris and Jim, do you guys want to address this as well? Oh, I think everything that Janine said is uh, is accurate. Balancing. Um, I, I mean, I, I wanted to be uh, slightly ironic at first and say, you know, what personal life? <laughs> uh, but but uh, as you've seen, I have my daughter playing with me here. Uh, you, a lot of it is, um, you know, I wish I could compartmentalize better, um, but I can't. 
Um, so often my, my work flows into my personal life, my personal life flows into my work life and it all kind of becomes a little bit jumbled, um, but that's okay. Um, you know, I, I, I seem to manage it best that way, but I, I love what Janine said is, is, is don't skip the small stuff, keep your health and your mental well-being intact. In, in That's the most essential because you can't tackle all these big problems unless you're, 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 at, you're at a healthy space for yourself. Um, and Janine does a really good job of that. And I will say, Janine, thank you for helping me stop eat candy after season one. Uh, that bag of candy you had was killing me and you've taken it away from me. So thank you. And June. Yeah, so when when I'm working on a production and I'm directing, producing, and being the story coach and the emotional support for everyone, it's it is very challenging and demanding. But um, I think first of all, I love Janine's idea of the meditation, of which I do start off every day and meditate. Um, and try to manifest an outcome for that day, which really grounds me. Um, and just get the respect and tolerance from my family when they know I'm doing something that's so intense. And um, definitely the balanced diet. So I think that um, all these things are really important. But I do have to say, when you are living your bliss, when you are doing the thing that sort of makes your toes wiggle and your, I don't know, your hands move around and your eyes sparkle. Um, it's so, it's so important to do that, but to understand that there are other archetypes inside you that need that love and care um, as well. And it's finding that balance for sure. Wonderful. Adrian, uh, I know we we're supposed to kind of wrap up about 10 minutes ago. We're at 20 after. I'm going to defer to you as the boss man for this. It's up to, it's up to Chris and Janine and June. I, I want to respect their time and, and, uh, and uh, I'm okay staying on. Okay. Can I sneak in one question right now? Just out of uh, yeah, we'll let you answer a question. All right. I just want to, of the three of you, which, what is a, what's your strong, what's your key personality trait for your job? What do you, I mean, I'm sure you guys have a, a whole bag full of, of, of tricks and traits, but what do you think is the key character trait that helps you do your job? <laughs> Mine would be patience. Mine would be being nice to ever. I'm nice to everyone. I love every. I love everyone on set. Um, love L O V E. Yeah, um, mine comes from a place of uh, <laughs> a wounded healer and a caregiver, and um, but I I complement that right up against my constant desire to be creative and to keep that engine going. So it is balancing um the caregiver with the creativity and being sensitive to that whole thing and I think when I bring those two things in any room um it acts as a tuning fork for everyone else in some way can I just add like kids you got it young people all of these artistic um mediums film television music, theater, all of these jobs 
people are working together. It's probably one of the most unified industries where people are dependent on each other. And a job and a film and a, and a, and a concert, a, a theater production cannot be successful without everyone working together and working well together. So when you go on a film set, it's incredible to see how cohesive everyone works together. Certainly there are exceptions, um, but generally speaking, any theater production that you that you see on stage, any movie that you've seen, every concert that you've been to, every TV show, even the news, Roger, I would say, everyone knows that they have to work and get along together to make it a success. If not, it's gonna fail. Absolutely. If it fails, it will fail miserably. So everyone, everyone really works together. So you need to have that characteristic is the ability to work with, with people well. And obviously, mm -hmm these three people are incredible at what they do. So, because they've been so successful and that's how you get there. All right, let's, uh, let's sneak in some more questions and then I think we'll have to wrap it up. Aylin, uh, we'll go with you first. Aylin? Aylin, you there? Okay, no. Um, oh. oh, there we go. Okay. So, so I was wondering for Janine, um, the co-op program that she talked about, I wanted to know a bit more about the program, that's all. It was through my high school, which was decades ago. Um, we had to, it uh, was through my drama program where we had a co-op program and we had to work in uh, theater companies and learn volunteer work and do whatever the theater company wanted us to do from cleaning to uh, putting props away to organizing things, to helping with costumes, to painting, to sound. And so I would go to school in the morning and do a co-op co program in the afternoon with my school. Um, I don't know how it is now with COVID, but every secondary school in this country provides co-op programs. And the, your school would have to hunt down to find you a placement in an arts organization. Um, that's how I did it at my school. And like Chris was saying, if you want to get into film and television, stick to the hub centers in this country. I did my co-op program in Toronto. And then when I ended up studying film, I ended up going to film in Vancouver at Vancouver Film School and at Capilano University. Those were the places I went. Well, uh, let's get a couple more questions in. Uh, thank you for that. Ashley, you're next. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yes, my next question is for Janine. And I know that she mentioned something about raising money for PAL. Um, I am actually working on a passion project with a group of other filmmakers. And I'm just interested in learning how I could raise money for the film because I am in charge of that of budgeting and making sure everything is organized financially with the film. So, okay, well, there's some um, funding. Question for you, since there's, I, if, I it's, if you can answer. So, so there's funding platforms like GoFundMe. Okay. That you can do, like we do on Facebook, like you do on Facebook, a lot of people do, like when they raise money for charities and they send it out to their friends. Well, you can get a GoFundMe program or a Kickstarter grant. 
that way. And what you do is you social media, you 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 put together a, a little proposal of your film and your idea and who's involved and their bios and pictures, a lot of pictures and a lot of cool things. And you say, if you donate, you get a credit in the film. If you donate money, you uh, will get a free t-shirt that says the name of the film. If you donate uh, $500, you get to go see the movie when it comes out in the, you know, or if you donate $1,000, you get a DVD of the movie when it comes out and it's on Kickstarter and GoFundMe. And that's how you raise money for your film. Once you get a few of those, once you get a few short films under your belt and they look cool and you got yourself a little real, then you can apply for government grants. But until before you can apply for government grants, you got to do the go the GoFundMe Kickstarter group and ask all your friends and do fundraising parties. It's a big job, a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And then you only raise a little bit, but every little bit counts. And you try when you're doing your film, you try to get as much stuff donated from as many places as you can. I did a short film. I got so much donated. I wasn't even from that city. I just went up to any business. I'm like, I love that chair in your window. We need a chair for our scene. We're making a student film. You'll get a credit. You'll get a credit in our film. We're going to put it in film festivals, you know, and, and just be respectful to the people that you're asking. Don't demand you be kind and you tell them, why you're asking them for the money and what you'll give them in return and you follow up. It's a big project, but if you got the heart and soul to do it and all these people, all your friends are in it, then they have to tell their friends about it and their friends got to tell their friends about it. So it's all not just one person. It's a team environment, a team collaboration that will help you. And Ashley, if you want to raise money for someone, you can raise money for Pal Canada. <laughs> we're, we're, we're of course to receive donations so if you want to do a film and put it to us we're happy to receive it thank you of course yes we thank do, you uh, should we have jillian's you, last question sorry thank you ashley sorry uh jillian's last question thank you so much for letting me ask another question this is awesome um i'd like to hear from both chris and janine because you guys both work in science fiction on star trek especially with that super cool new technology how does that affect the writing process and your jobs compared to other shows? And I know it's a little complicated, but I would just love to hear how that works and how it all comes together because it must be very challenging before like you don't even see it, but then you have to create from it. So how do you keep the continuity before you even have like a product to work with? Well, this is a cool thing about the technology. Before, when we would do a chart, a car chasing scene, we'd be shooting, we'd be shooting the ch car chasing scene all over the city at different locations. The car turns on Young Street. Um, the car turns on uh, Avenue Road, then on Bloor, and it takes weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks to shoot it. And it's very complicated. And all the cars that are in the background are all stunt players. It's all choreography that we do. Every car that you see in an action sequence, it's a professional driver driving that background car, even if they're just parked or whatever. A lot of safety is involved. It's very huge and it's, it's a big production. Now with Star Trek, we have the car on the stage and the actors are going like this and talking to each other and doing this and that. And we see the streets and the turns 
and everything all projected on a screen. We don't, and it's amazing. And it, we got the whole car scene done within six hours, which would normally take about six weeks to shoot. And that's the great thing about working on Star Trek. It's all the latest technology. Now, probably in a few years, I'll see every movie will be doing that. It'll be the, it'll be the, it'll be what every movie has been doing. But right now, Star Trek is the, the forerunner for it. And it's fantastic. The, um, the, the fun thing about being a genre filmmaker and, 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 and I define myself as a genre filmmaker is that, you know, I, there's for, for, for genre filmmakers, there's really this holy trinity and it's, it's horror uh, and then it's fantasy and then it's science fiction at the top. Uh, and, and why it's in that order is that um, pretty much every genre filmmaker gets their start in horror because horror is cheap. You can go make a cheap horror movie. You, you can make it on your iPhone. Uh, you, don't need, you don't need spaceships. You don't need, uh, you know, Narnia. Um, you just need something scary. You need a dark corridor and a, a closet with something swinging inside of it. So like all genre filmmakers, I got my start in horror. And that's always been my, my true passion and love. Um, and then again, my, my career li literally followed this, this holy trinity to speak. So I started in horror, uh, that, and then I eventually made my way into fantasy and fantasy is, is more expensive than horror. And it's, so you have, it's more challenging. There's more risk because what you're making costs more to make. Um, so you have to be, Hey, Hey Blair. Um, sorry guys. Um, what you have to do is you have to, you know, uh, the stakes are higher because you're, 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 it costs more. And, and, and science fiction is really the top of that ladder. And you're at the very top uh, uh, of, of budgets, um, of expectations, um, and of technology. Um, you're working with, you know, all the fancy, most expensive bells and whistles. So what does that mean? Your question was, what does that mean for writing um, and, and for production? Um, it means that you 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 know you've you've you you have to be really good at what you do um, because there's not a lot of room for error um, in so far as you know uh, making mistakes. Mistakes are costly. To to read to, what Janine just mentioned of the, this great new technology from the augmented to reality, the AR wall we call it. It's awesome. But you can imagine how much it costs to shoot on this wall every day. Uh, it, it's just just the buy-in for the equipment is in the tens of millions of dollars. So, so when when a director comes to shoot on the AR wall, and Janine just so passionately walked you through a, a fantastic day of shooting, um, you you have to be at your A game because it has to go that well because you're not going to get a second day of shooting. Uh, taking my analogy backwards. You're on a horror movie, you know, you didn't get the right shot in the in the spooky closet upstairs on your iPhone. That's okay. You can go do that tomorrow. It doesn't cost you that much. If you want to go shoot that driving sequence again, well, it's going to cost you it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so um, that's how it affects the writing and directing. The stakes are higher. Expectations are higher. Um, but I do want to end my, my answer with one thing, and, it, and it's always going back to this. Uh, what, what June talks about is that you can learn the technology. Don't worry about the technology. What you should be worrying about right now is what is your voice? What are you passionate about? What is your story? 
No one can teach you that. There's, there's 100 people on a film set that will help you light a scene. There's someone that's gonna help you set your shot. There's someone that's gonna help you with the story. There's someone that's gonna help you with the hair and the makeup. There's nobody on that film set to help you with your passion, to help you with your emotion, to help you with your story. You're responsible for that 100%. That's what you need to focus on. That's what you need to be great at. The technology, the, the everything else, there's, you're gonna learn that. There's people to help you learn that. Um, that's not what's essential. What's essential is, is what's inside your heart, what's inside your mind. Wonderful. Chris, uh, Janine, June, thank you for letting me be a part of this, Adrian. Uh, I learned a lot today. I might apply for film school. Before I close, um, our project, project coordinator, Suzanne, um, who used to work with the Canadian Screen Awards and, um, and ver various areas in the, um, in the film industry here in Toronto and Canada would, has a question. Suzanne? Unmute yourself. Hi there. Did that work? Yeah. Yes. Great. Um, yes. Hi. Thank you so much. I, I've got pages and pages of notes and actually feel smarter after that. So I, I can't thank you enough, both as project coordinator and people person who works in the film business. Um, I produced a pilot you may have heard of called Heartland, which is still running on CBC. I think it's season 16 now. Uh, but I just wanted to go back to what uh, Fish said about, where was it? Um, work hard, be willing to grind, and never give up. And, and just, would you care to elaborate on that? Is, like, is there a good story of when you wanted to give up and didn't? Oh, I mean, a million times. And I think that is that, that if, if there is a common story for those of us who work in the film business, um, uh, it, it, it's, it happens all the time. And, and Janine has, has um, talked me off the ledge before and I've talked Janine off the ledge before just to, to bring it home and put it a, a real world perspective on it. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're passionate about our jobs. We're passionate about our storytelling. It's personal, it's emotional. Uh, you can't say, oh, don't take it personally. Like, well, that's what I'm being paid to do. Like, you're asking me to have a voice and tell a story. I, I, I care about this. I'm emotionally involved. Um, and, and so I, I think, you know, so, 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 but, but I think, I think what your question is most specifically is, 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 I guess what I was saying is I think that's the one essential quality of succeeding in this business. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, I, I, I know that everyone on this call is, is again, is smart and talented and passionate. Um, but I think what I have seen as the sort of, you know, I've seen people give up, unfortunately. Uh, many of my friends from film school gave up. Um, I've seen people along the way give up. Um, you know, no, as I said, Janine has seen me want to give up. I've seen Janine yeah. And we're there for each other. We pull each other together. And that's why I say, you know, don't give up grind. You keep working hard and, and but also find others who also are willing to grind and bind yourself with them, tie yourself with them. Like Janine and I have, have each other's backs. Mm -hmm. we, we really do. And I, you know, we could, we could tell, you know, maybe we can't tell the stories, but we've, you know, it's, it's not easy all the time. Um, but um, so, so, it's that ability to 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 really just grind it out and work hard and not give up. That's going to you know separate the 
the people who, who, who continue in the business and, and who do not. Um, and it's not for everybody because it is hard work. Um, and I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone here would be doing any service of saying this isn't a tough business. Um, the hours are brutal. Um, um, the, the commitment to the profession is, 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 is really a life commitment. Um, but, and I think June's very, very, very smart to say, don't, you know, it, it's sometimes it's pot, it's sometimes you make a mistake of serving only that part of your ego or your, or yourself. Um, and you have to be careful not to do that. You have to make sure you, you, you listen to other parts, uh, inside your soul. Um, but, but again, I, I, you know, I will tell you, I am not an undisputed, I'm, I am not the most talented director. I was not one of the most talented people in my film school. Um, I, I, I never gave up and I worked hard, but there's people much smarter than me, much more talented than me that, 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 that said, hey, I'm out. This isn't for me. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Yeah. I'm, I'm not anymore. I want to go do something else because I don't, I, 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 I didn't know it was the work was this hard. I didn't know I had to be this thick skinned. Um, and, um, and, and I do think, and I will say, and, I, and I'm, I'm, and, and obviously you work in the business as well. Um, the business is also changing for the better. It is a much better business today than yeah. when I did it. Um, and I believe, and, 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 and everyone on Star Trek practices, this is that hmm. we, we don't, we we're happy that it's better and we're happy that it's changing. Um, and we're happy that, that there isn't this sort of a frat uh, sort of attitude of, of, you know, bringing people up and making it as hard as possible for them. That's, that's what I went through, uh, quite frankly. And, and I wouldn't wish that upon anyone. Um, yeah. and, and that's not how we mentor people. Um, that's not how we run our show. Um, and um, that's not how things will continue in the future. Cool. Thank you so much. Can, can I just add one little, we need Please. to- I just want to say that it's so interesting for me, my saboteur, the person who wants to sabotage me, my inner critic or whatever you want to call it, or I want to give up, really appears when I'm actually about to get into my own power or when I'm facing my truth. And when my biggest truth, I'm touching it or I'm getting into my power, my saboteur decides to come in and somehow creep up on me and take me off route. But in knowing that, um, it certainly has allowed me to deal with it and to put it at bay. And that's all I wanted to say is just know that when that self-critic comes in or you wanna give up, um, think about the fact how close you are to getting to what you're supposed to be doing. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you are 14 to 30 years old, and would like to participate in future masterclasses, please visit our website at palcanada.org programs and click on Behind the Scenes, where you will find more information and a registration option. You must register to participate in our masterclasses. Thank you.